episode 20. So congratulations on episode 20. I'm I'm super excited about that. Wow, we're almost Ooh. legal enough to drink. We're One at, more year and we can drink. Wow, that'd it, be special. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> I'm, that'll be huge celebration. <laughs> the other thing is that today is April 1st, it which is. besides April Fool's Day is also opening day for baseball. Nice. Right? So nice. super exciting in the world of, well, my world. I love That's baseball. Right. So look at that. Fact, well, my goodness. That would that. That is your like grandfather's glove or something there. That must be it is, a beauty. It is the coolest. It is an old, it's a replica in truth, yeah, okay. right? So right. I went to um, Cooperstown a number of years ago and I was in search of one of these old like turn of the century gloves. Nice. Uh, and the only ones you find there are like, are, you don't play with them, you know, but they have these replicas and I've just been, you know, this is my, I'm frustrated on a conference call. That's what this thing is for. That's right? that's the, what that noise is. Okay. Yeah. That's right, yeah, yep, that's it. But yeah, so super excited and you know today very exciting for us is you and I are joined by Ashley Rodriguez and Stephen Holt from Intel, and uh, you know that's going to bring us into all these very exciting conversations. So Ashley and Stephen, thank you very much for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've, we sort of prepped you a bit that one of our traditions here is to just sort of ask how you've gotten, you know, tell us your journey in the uh, tech space, because we have just learned so much from so many different people that, you know, the tech industry is not always a straight path. And it's a fairly interesting journey for many. Um, and it just also helps us understand, you know, how we're getting into this dialogue. So who's first? Who's our first batter, as they say? You know, oh, better up. Nice. You're going with it. Uh, I'm all in today. Yeah. That's it. We're all in on baseball metaphors today. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. My husband's actually coaching for my son. Uh, he's seven years old. So they have like a, you know, a team. And uh, Friday's our first practice. So we're all excited. Um, oh, yeah. So um, the way I got into the tech industry is a little unique. Like you mentioned, it wasn't necessarily a straight path. Uh, I went to uh, undergrad for business management, and when I decided to go straight from undergrad to grad school, I had the opportunity to work at a tech incubator uh, at the time as a graduate assistantship. So what I ended up doing was helping write um, grants and business plans and helping all these really smart engineers launch tech businesses. And uh, I was more on the business side of it. And I realized I kind of always had been a geek for technology, but I kind of realized how cool the industry really is and the potential that's there, especially from an entrepreneurship perspective. So I think that's what, for me, did it. It kind of just, I was hooked and that was it. From there on out, I followed a tech path. Um, I ended up working for a major OEM. And uh, in that role, I was... Uh, I wore a few hats. I was um, kind of a, a spokesperson, if you will, an ambassador for um, for that OEM. And, and what I did there was um, I had the tech press. So I did a lot of NDA briefings prior to product launches uh, with the tech press. I also did customer briefings where we would tell the story about why you should buy our products. And then I did partner briefings. So I spent a ton of time in the channel trying to buy Mindshare, <laughs> win hearts and minds of sure. the sales reps in, in the channel. So um, did that for a while and then uh, ended up over at Intel. 
And uh, at Intel for about five years, I was an account executive calling on large global customers, uh, managing those relationships and accounts. And uh, now I've found my way to the um, cloud partner manager team. And I have responsibility for helping our partners that are expanding or uh, are cloud native in uh, in their business. And they either, you know, sell cloud to their customers or add services around that, you know, sort of um, add value um, around the public cloud activity that's going on. And so that's my current job. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Steven, she's she's gotten on base. Now you got to, you know, you got to bring her in. <laughs> got to move her, yeah, was, gotta move her so, over. <laughs> so uh, how did I get into the industry? Well, I, I guess it did start at school, although I, I was fond of economics, but I was a C, a C level economics person. And I always got straight A's in these computer classes. And I thought, well, I think I've made a mistake. Let's go with computers. And, and I, I've I've obviously written that as far as uh, to, to this point. So I uh, I got out of school, um, did some work, joined IBM, did a lot of database. I've been I'm focused almost solely on databases. Uh, left IBM, became a consultant, uh, and was making you know a, a data warehousing consultant for hire for a while, making pretty really good money. But at my third week of creating a Visio diagram of a data warehouse, I realized, wow, I've, I've got to find something different. And, and that's when I became more of a customer facing enabling person um, for, for IBM and then some, some other companies. And I've, I've been that sort of enabling, you know, solution architect currently uh, where I'm interacting with people and helping them get the most out of technology. So that's kind of my, my technology path and now i'm at intel doing the same thing and it's a lot of fun yeah cool yeah. fantastic cool. so i oh bob go ahead no i just thought it was interesting that he made a career uh decision while in visio um <laughs> <laughs> you know what that's actually very very astute you know i mean there, there's, there's, i just thought that was interesting that, yeah right yeah how, how was our lives change while in visio so yeah very funny that, actually, I can see that being a very funny visual if you ever wanted to put the time into it. You know, that, that could That's be right. very fun. Yeah. Um, so, Ashley, I've always I've always wondered how Intel, you know, the strategy behind growing Intel market share and being a technology that isn't necessarily the first thought you have when you're thinking about technology in the sense that, you know, this is all the inside and, you know, the Intel inside concept, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, you spend your time focusing on working with partners to grow their cloud business, but in growing their cloud business, how, you know, that may or may not impact Intel. Is that fair? I mean, how do you directly draw a line between growing cloud and Intel from that perspective? Kind of a trick question. You're on mute, by the way. Okay, sorry, thank you. Um, I think that Intel's really everywhere you look. Um, I don't wanna sound, uh, I'm a little biased, right? Obviously as sure. an Intel sure. employee, but if you look on-prem, if you look at the edge, you know, on the client devices, if you look at the sensors in the IoT world, if you look at, you know, the on-prem like hybrid cloud or even the public cloud, pretty much wherever you work, you look, we're there, right? And so, um, 
I, I do believe that we're extremely relevant, um, not only in, you know, what most people would think of when they think of Intel Inside, that was that big, you know, PC campaign that we pushed like, you know, Intel Inside. And I think that dabbled over to the to the data center a bit. But, um, you know, that, that, that endpoint thing was big for us, right? And that was a really big um, push that we had from a marketing perspective. Um, I think as, as things have evolved over the years, uh, we continue to be really strong in the in the PC space. Um, but what we've seen is that our uh, data center growth has exploded. Um, that's both on-prem and in the public cloud. And if you go to select instances at any of the big public clouds, the majority of the availability is Intel, right? Um, and, and for those instance types. And so, um, we're, we're very relevant. I think some of the things that get lost in translation, if you will, or perhaps abstracted are the things that um, we do really well, ironically. Those are the things that are very geeky, right? Like, um, you know, people like Steven who are like deep in the weeds technically on a cloud solution architect perspective. You know, a lot of that, a lot of the way that the CFPs sell is that they abstract that stuff. They say, don't worry about what's under the hood. We're going to give you the best technology for your business needs. Now tell me about your business needs, right? That's the, the conversation. It's evolved. It's kind of up-leveled a bit to, uh, to more of a, what's your business need? I'll then take care of, don't worry, we have solution architect. We'll take care of what you need from a technology perspective. Just tell me what your business goals are. So um, I do think we have to work a little harder to make sure that the value that we have is recognized in the public cloud than we would if it was an on-prem um, conversation or on the client side or maybe even in the IoT world. But uh, but I think we're absolutely relevant and we're everywhere. So uh, it's exciting um, for us. Yeah, yeah. no, no, and, it, and oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I, it's been put to me that, I mean, when we're in front of a customer, we get questions like, why am I speaking to Intel? And uh, it's uh, we've, say it, uh, we've said it in the best way that, look, we don't have a horse in this race but we have a horse in every race, meaning that, you know, we're, we're not the ones that you're going to buy from, but, but we are everywhere. And that, you know, we want to make sure that wherever you go, you're having the best experience possible. And that's, that's what, uh, that's what we try and do and make sure that uh, our customers are happy and make the right choices. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. And, you know, part of it, I think maybe for me is to think of Intel as more than just a processor manufacturer, right? I, I think that's, you know, like I'm coming in with that bias. You know, we talk about bias, right? You know, like I, I like many other folks, you know, are predisposed to whatever we've known in the past, you know? And so I think about Intel processor, how important that chip is and everything else that's around it. But I think the greater point is Intel's much more than that. Um, you know, and, and I'm honestly, I'm curious. So when we talk about more than just the processor, what should we be talking about? Do you want me to take that, Stephen, or you want yep. to try this one? No, go ahead. Absolutely. Sure. I'll give a real world example, if you will, for a specific workload, right? Um, I used to work with a lot of the top health and life sciences customers uh, in the world. And one of the really hot areas for some of the life sciences customers is what we call cryo-EM or cryon electron microscopy. There's a couple of really key um, uh, ISVs that play in that space. These are microscopes, right? And they're, they're big microscopes that generate about six terabytes of data a day. Um, and that's on the low end. Some of the other ones are, you know, you're going to see it go all the way up to like 30 terabytes a day. 
So they, they generate a ton of data and the ISVs that handle kind of these microscopes would be like CryoSpark or RelyOn. And a lot of people probably don't know how many thousands of software developers Intel has, but we do, we have thousands of software developers. And so our goal is to make sure that these uh, ISVs are taking advantage of the capabilities that are available through the Intel platforms. So an example here for CryoEM is that if you use the latest and greatest Cascade Lake family of Xeon, there's a feature there called AVX 512. And that AVX 512 allows you to um, buy an instance that is CPU only. You don't need the GPU. And so if you do that, you save a lot of money because now all of a sudden we've done optimization that enables a ton of you know, performance directly with RelyOn where we've optimized that code. And um, we have that available on-prem today. We're working at making it that available in the public cloud too. Because how cool would it be to save on your bill because we've done some optimization from a software perspective that leverages the hardware capability? That's that's a real world example, if that's helpful. Yeah, no, no, it's, it, it is helpful. And I, I guess when you say thinking about the public cloud, it would be taking that technology and working with the public cloud provider, let's call it Azure, AWS, Google, yep. and marrying that technology to specific workload subscriptions that they can make available to their customers so that when the customer subscribes to that particular workload, they're leveraging that Intel technology in, in that mix. You know, I guess that's the, exactly uh, it. Yep. Yeah. And I, that example I gave you is more of like one of the ones on our roadmap that we're working on and it's exciting and we know it's publicly available on prem and um, and and customers leverage it today. Um, so it's it's an exciting one. But um, in terms of like, you know, the the optimizations like that that are available, we have a full list. We call them Intel Cloud Affinity Solutions where we've worked directly with the CSPs. So we'll work with AWS and Azure and GCP and um, even for availability on-prem with hybrid cloud solutions to have a full list of these types of things. That's just one example, but that's where there's stickiness, right? We've done some sort of beyond the chip uh, optimization that gives a customer better ROI and that's really what we're after. Yeah, how often does optimization come up Bob, in our, in our uh, discussions? <laughs> Yeah, a thousand times a day is optimization comes up. Every layer. It's yeah. it's every every customer is asking about it or wanting it or needing it. Um, what do those uh, that that medical solution that you were mentioning? Just I want to double click on that for a second. What um what are they using that for? Is that for medical research? Um, it it creates so much data. I can't imagine what they do with that on a daily basis. Yeah, so I will tell you, I am not a scientist, so I am probably not going to give you the best definition of That's what okay. cryo-EM <laughs> actually is. But if you if you look it up, it's a um, it's an electron microscopy technique that is uh, it's basically um, they're they're looking at time series data in um, their freezing the it's almost like video like you're looking at a long video clip that's why it creates so much data and only little slices of that video are actually valuable so um there's ai and some interesting things going on to parse up the pieces that are actually valuable from the bigger data set that's being generated um yeah but it's it's a technique that's used um you know for years um and some of the big players in this are going to be um 
you know, some of the big microscope providers. And actually from customers, they've told us, you know, even to get on a list to get one of these microscopes, it's like a two-year wait time. So um, you'll see that, you know, some of the big pharma companies and life sciences companies like roll these out and then they're waiting for the next one for a couple of years and then they roll the next one out. Um, so it's, uh, they're just looking at biomolecular structures, basically, um, near atomic resolution. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's fascinating to me. I, it's a lot of it goes over my head. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a scientist, but I do know from a technology perspective, there's definitely potential for optimization, right? And to for save sure. money on the compute because the microscope, really, honestly, the microscope is super expensive. Whereas the compute's probably the least expensive part of the whole solution. The storage is really expensive. So what we like to say is, you know, don't let the, the least expensive part of the solution wind up costing you the most. If you realize that you could run this on an optimized version, leveraging AVX 512 on Cascade Lake, and that adds up, you can save a bunch of money, right? That you can then apply to other areas, you know, allocate that those funds elsewhere. Is it more? Is it as much? It's saving, but then is there an efficiency in terms of the processing um, because of the, you know, the I guess the reduction in scope in terms of what it's actually doing? Yeah. So I mean, I think what they're doing is um, they're leveraging some of the the features, and maybe Stephen, you could even speak to this. Like if you could explain what AVX five twelve really does on a on a Xeon CPU. Um, the capability of that particular feature is what allows us to optimize the code from a rely on to run more efficiently. So, Stephen, I don't know, could you could you kind of weigh in and and uh, you know we have a lot of features like this. Like sure, I, I could try it. Um, it's that that SIMD uh, processing where you're you're doing um, multiple data sets at, with within one instruction. Uh, one um, cycle, so it's a uh, 512 bytes, but you're packing in, uh, you know, a lot of data that you're, you know, that you're processing all at once, uh, vectorized uh, processing. So it's uh, it's used a lot in columnar databases because you can put a lot, you know, whole columns and rows into uh, a single register and then act on that register and do compares against that whole section of data. Uh, so it's really a, a very fast way of doing a lot of data processing with just one cycle. Uh, so and you multiply that out, and you get extremely blazing fast throughput of data. Right, which I mean, that strikes me as, you know, so there's the cost savings here, but then there's also that to me is the, the efficiency component too. You know, if I'm able to process that much more, get more out of that moment from an analysis perspective, there's, you know, clearly benefits to it. And I mean, you know, we could certainly correlate that over to the last year. I mean, it, you know, if you think about a year ago today, we were all getting used to the notion of, you know, quarantine and working from home and, you know, the year unfolded. And, you know, today we're at a place where, you know, there's vaccinations and that year, probably, you know, technologies such as this allowed us to, you know, process the data necessary to create things like vaccines. I mean, I, that to me is, you know, kind of a straight path. Is that is that a fair straight path or am I making stuff up? No, that's a, a fair straight path. Yes, absolutely. The, 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 during this pandemic times, the processing needs that that have been required of, of industries, of, of economies, basically, uh, has been uh, immense. And 
Intel and has been able to, uh, you know, fulfill some of those processing needs with a lot of the optimizations and 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 wherever we can. Absolutely. Speaking of that, um, we during our, our 19 prior podcasts, it seems like everyone's got a really good story about, you know, a technology or a customer situation during the pandemic. Does Intel have a couple stories that you can share with us on some some of the good work that maybe your technology provided uh, during the pandemic and, you know, led to a specific outcome that was a, a positive in nature? Yeah, I think we've got a lot of great examples there, actually. And we had a pandemic relief um, initiative uh, technology fund, if you will. I probably oh, nice. botched, I botched the acronym there, but it was $50 million that we set aside to help organizations that were dealing with um, the results of the pandemic. And so I know that as a result of that initiative, we have a lot of great stories to tell. And they're sort of feel-good stories where technology enabled people to adapt and um, and deal with the, the new environment that they that everybody had to deal with, right? Um, so one of the ones I, I could share was, um, you know, during during the time in hospitals, because I used to cover a lot of, of health and life sciences customers, like I mentioned, and uh, in hospitals, um, a lot of the doctors and nurses were not able to um, go into the rooms um, as often as they would like to check on COVID patients. And so um, what we enabled was, um, you know, uh, in partnership with AWS, the Alexa show devices that are powered by Intel um, to be in the patient room. So you could actually, you know, drop in on a patient from outside the room and not actually have to enter the room, have a full conversation, almost like a telehealth consult. And as long as everything seemed okay, then you wouldn't have to, um, you know, enter the room. You could actually go to the next patient. So Things like that were really, you know, fascinating. Uh, another one that um, we uh, we are really uh, involved with, we've been working with for a long time, was a health system in the Bronx in New York City. Um, they built an AI engine that helps predict whether or not somebody's going to end up in the ICU or need to be intubated. And this AI algorithm is actually running in real time through their active EMR system, their electronic medical record system. And um, and what they were able to do is that when the pandemic hit, it was it was interesting. They had been working on this for years prior. Um, you know, they had done this through NIH funding that had come out from the National Institute of Health, and um, and they had stood up a bunch of different AI models to to enable this. And um, they created what was called a platform. It was called Palm Patient Analytic Learning Machine. And uh, this this thing was was great for a lot of different reasons. But then when the pandemic hit. The interesting thing was many of those models were very applicable to predicting what was going to happen to a particular patient that had COVID and predict it prior to it happening. So they could actually intervene and intercept and save lives. So that's all running on Intel on the back end. And we did a lot of fine tuning and what we call optimization there too for their, we consider them an ISV. So we have worked for them with them for years, um, you know, on this. And so it was great to see that platform in use uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, no, that's really, that's awesome. So quick story on the Alexa drop-in, by the way. So, oh, yeah. I, have my, I have my dot right here. So I just said her name and she lit up, but <laughs> the, the, the notion of a drop-in was foreign to me when I first got them. So, you know, I, I had this, you know, weekend where I got all excited. I bought all the Alexas. I put all the dots all over the house. You know, I gave one to my, my kids and they, they live out of the house now. 
And my daughter, of course, knew what a drop in was. And one, you know, like the next day I was sleeping and she dropped in and started talking to me. And while I was sleeping, I thought she was in the house. And I started talking to her <laughs> thinking that she was in the house. I had no idea that she was dropping in. She was dropping in from Chicago. So she was like, I felt, I felt so old. I felt like, okay, it, it, it finally happened. You know, like I'm finally the old dad that doesn't know what's going on. And it's, <laughs> you know, so that drop in thing has a moment now for me where technology got beyond me and that's it. So it's, just, it's Happens a little sad. To- happens to all of us i i've experienced similar situations myself <laughs> yeah like who's why is she here how did she get here it was terrible <laughs> am i, I drinking a, <laughs> yeah i have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and it's amazing how quickly they adopt new things from a technology perspective Bog, mind-boggling really yeah it is that was a great story about the Bronx. um you know i work with a smaller hospital in maine and what was in- interesting from their perspective during the pandemic is, you know, financially they were hit hard. And you would think, why would a, a hospital be hit hard financially during the pandemic? But they weren't able to do the procedures that they were making money on, um, you know, during the pandemic. And they were having a hard time. I mean, they they said they were down at that point during the year. And this was last summer. They were down over uh, $300 million dollars in their budget because of not being able to do the procedures that made money. So it's yeah. interesting how technology can help, um, you know, close that gap for certain things and get um, get a situation like a hospital through a pandemic like that or as we continue to get through it. So that's, that, that's neat that um, uh, an organization like that, that you would think that is not on the edge of technology is working with AI to solve a problem, I think is really um, neat that we're seeing that type of advancement in the marketplace. So that's really cool. That's a, yeah, that's a cool COVID story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting. I grew up in Maine, actually. So I'm from there. Um, you know, and, uh, Stevens, uh, you're in, uh, New England too, right, Stephen? Boston. Or, uh, just, Boston. Yeah, just north of Boston. <laughs> nice. 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 Go Sox. So, <laughs> and I was, I was just Sorry, thinking. I'm a Yankees fan. <laughs> yeah. I'm in New York now. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, sorry, you threw me off there with the Yankees. Mentioned, um, <laughs> <laughs> No, but I was thinking Intel does have their own, uh, our own story as well with the pandemic. We uh, we have our VPN service. We have, keep a lot of secrets within uh, Intel itself. We have, of course, a lot of manufacturing. And over a weekend, they, dis- you know, because of the pandemic, Intel went completely remote. And we're, we're used to maybe 3,000 VPN connections a week or something like that. But uh, immediately we sent 110,000 employees to work from home. And so our IT organization, we've actually written uh, a couple of white papers on this, how the IT organization leveraged um, the the cloud, uh, Intel instances, and uh, immediately uh, spun up the appropriate uh, VPN VPN resources required to to, uh, to immediately switch uh, to a complete remote uh, remote only organization. It was it was quite uh, quite a feat that uh, we pulled off within 24 hours. It was it was quite a story. And again, there's a there's a white paper out there that's really worth uh, reading if you get the chance. 
Yeah, well, we've we've ta found ourselves talking about frequently is how lucky in a way we are that, and this is, sounds weird, that the pandemic happened when it happened in the sense that we had this public cloud infrastructure in place that had been adopted to such a level that much of our economy could very, very quickly move to a remote environment without it being, you know, catastrophic. And I think that, you know, I mean, you have to think of silver lining sometime, but that was that was definitely one of those moments. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a fascinating story. Let, let me let me ask this. So you know, Moore's law, right? I think I said that right. You know, like every what is it? Every eighteen months, you know, technologies. Uh, the I guess it's the performance is supposed to double and the cost is supposed to be cut in half, something like that. You know, that's the notion behind Moore's law, and I think it's eighteen months. But I've I've always thought of it as this rate there's always this race it seems between you know um pr processing storage throughput bandwidth you know like in terms of development or uh progress in the the world of technology and you know as i think about things like artificial intelligence and i think of you know things that are about con you know processing data as we collect it and the, the ability for us to collect it through things like 5g right so now through the internet of things and through 5g um, we're able to grab huge amounts of data. And then I think there, there's this question of being able to process that data. Is our is is processing going to be able to keep up? You know, I guess that I guess that's a long way for me to ask my question. Are are we going to be able to keep up with our ability to collect data? So yeah, I, I, I can, go ahead, Stephen. You go first. So I, I, I've seen or I've experienced that instead of collecting data and bringing it back we're pushing a lot of more of that that processing out to the edge so a lot of uh, and we're seeing that specifically within ai and uh, you know uh, as we collect uh, video and analyze it we're no longer bringing that video back to analyze it we're doing it on the edge and only capturing the, those important parts so you multiply that by you know, a hub and spoke model with uh, a thousand different edges out there. They're all doing that, that processing out on the edge before they send that important data back for central processing. Uh, I, I, you can multiply that out to 10,000 to 100,000. I mean, that it's that edge processing where uh, we're just pushing that 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 work that has to be done instead of in the in, in a central hub out to the, the actual spokes. And it's and you're right that uh, that need for processing is, is achieved because we're pushing it further out to where it's actually happening. I could also uh, I could also chime in on that. I think that's an absolutely uh, great point. Um, one of the things that our Intel account executives can bring to the table in terms of value for customers that are interested in this type of thing, along with you know our partner account executives, is the uh, the look forward from like now to maybe 12 to 18 months of NDA, what's coming from Intel. It's an exciting thing to be able to show companies that under NDA um, in those meetings, because it gives them a glimpse of, you know, what they can plan on from a technology perspective uh, and map that back to their business objectives. And so, what you what you referenced, you know, with Moore's law also was associated with something that we we um, used to call like the TikTok model. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's uh, you know, the the notion of Moore's law, which is you know something that Gordon Moore had coined, 
um, I think it goes all the way back to 1965, you know, it was a long time ago, is that the number of transistors per uh, silicon chip would double, you know, in a period of time, right? And it would be year after year after year. Now with that TikTok, it was like an innovate, shrink, innovate, shrink, innovate, shrink. So we innovate and we then shrink it and then do it again and again and again and again. So we used to have a very um, consistent cadence with that. And uh, interestingly enough, the smaller you get, the tougher it is to do. We're literally at the point where we're bending light, right? To get that shrink. Um, and it's fascinating. I had the opportunity to tour a fab, uh, an Intel fab in Ireland in, uh, in, with one of my customers and we were doing some key strategic stuff, but just and, to and see. Just, this is gonna sound, this is gonna sound silly, but when you say fab, I think you're saying fabricator or manufacturer yeah, production. It's a, okay. It's okay. what we, we, it's an Intel, I guess, uh, 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 term fabrication facility, right? Where we fabricate the silicon. And, um, and so there, what, what's cool is the level of sophistication really um, in the way that we do this. And it's, it's hard to do it that small, you know, we're, we're uh, slicing atoms and, and uh, it's, it's pretty fascinating. So I would say um, kind of to earlier points, what an amazing time we're in to be able to have these things available to us from a technology perspective. And I'm super excited about not only what's available today from an Intel perspective, but also what's coming. And if customers are interested in, in hearing more about what we can't speak about publicly, um, and they want to do an NDA roadmap discussion, we can absolutely do that under NDA along with, uh, you know, uh, the team. So uh, would offer that up. Yeah, that's a good tease. That's like yeah. a trailer. Right. That was a trailer. For you. <laughs> this is, that was great. Uh, Yep. You don't want to break any news on on the uh, podcast here because you know uh, we are very my, open to that. If, you know. prefer, prefer to keep my job today if possible. All right, that's fair. <laughs> we don't want to get anyone fired because of our friendly podcast. Um, <laughs> since since um, you know there you guys have some stuff coming down the line which is still under NDA. What about any new stuff right now that's public that you guys want to talk about that uh, you know, might might be hot from Intel right now? Yeah, so um, I'll take this real quick, Stephen, then I'll pass it over. I'll do a short answer on this one. One of the coolest things I, I, I have, I come from a history of client. Um, so I, prior to being a cloud uh, girl, I was more on the client side. And if we take a look at, you know, what we've launched recently there, it's awesome. If you haven't seen it already, you have to check out Evo. You should always also check out the Go PC campaign. Um, it's a lot of fun. Some of the clips are uh, really interesting, um, punchy, fun, uh, and educational. So um, that's one thing. And I would say, how do we tie that to the cloud? Well, I really think that there's an edge to the cloud story. So back to what we were talking about before with how we were able to transition to work from home so quick. One of the ways we saw customers do that was through Chrome um, and Chrome OS and being able to stand up those endpoints so quickly and if you use the enterprise management console with Chrome, it runs on a Google uh, Cloud VMware engine backend. And so that runs in GCP, right? So there's this whole, no matter where you are, whether it's an endpoint, really cool innovations and things going on, there's something happening back on the, on the cloud side potentially, right? So um, we've seen it from edge to cloud and it supported that need to shift to work from home so quick. And it's also exciting to see some of the innovation happening in those endpoints. Because let's be honest, you know, your PC actually really does 
matter, right? Your endpoint, whatever sort of compute you have at your fingertips um, impacts your day-to-day -day work experience. Uh, cool technologies now. Well, I don't know if you've heard of persistent memory. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm no expert at it, but I just, I think that stuff is super cool because uh, we've had customers that have, where, where machines are limited to, I, I think it's currently four, four terabytes you could put in a machine, but with persistent memory, you can go up to, uh, I think it's 12 terabytes. And again, I'm not an expert, but the the ability for a single machine now to support, uh, you know, instead of uh, 12,000 virtual desktops, they can support, you know, 3,600, 4,000 virtual desktops across an organization with a single server because they can put more of that memory in that it's, uh, I, that stuff is cool. And it's one of those things where I, I go, I got to learn more about that just when I have time. And that's also available in a couple of the CSPs as well currently, the, uh, the that uh, persistent memory. A few select ones, you got to kind of hunt for it, but uh, it's uh, that that is cool stuff that I, I like uh, kind of exploring. Is that so when I do I kind of translate that to something like virtual machines where we were able to, you know, before there was the server and, you know, the operating system was working on the server, we realized that there was, you know, the ability for us to get, you know, 10 ineffective virtual servers onto that one piece of machinery. Is the persistent, is this a similar concept? I mean, that, from a processing perspective or a memory First, perspective? So persistent, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure somebody at Intel is going to yell at me for not describing correctly, but I'll do it my best. <laughs> so persistent memory is, we've got our Optane storage, which is a disk storage. It's um, it's persistent. You, you, you write to it and, it and it's there whether you turn the machine on or off. We've also got that available in DIMM. Uh, socket availability so but we can pack a lot more memory into that that dim so that when you put that dim that persistent memory dim into a server you're actually putting much more memory than you could with a simple ram stick uh dram stick so um because of the intel technology that we're putting in there you can instead of having uh, the standard maximum four terabytes in a server for, with 64 cores uh 48 cores or you know, two sockets whatever you can now have 12 terabytes with um the and i think and i'm sure i'm getting that number screwed up as well but much more let me just say much more and so you have that much more memory you could do much more things and we found that specifically with virtual desktops we can have so many more that one server with two sockets and, and uh 64 cores and with the persistent memory can deliver so many desktops across an organization and that's one of the solutions that that has been really big during the pandemic it's cool technology that, i mean that makes yeah. sense. so from a cloud perspective what i think i'm hearing is that the physical footprint you know, can be reduced. And so I get, you know, I can get more out of my data center, my physical data center, because e each of the physical units can support that much more workflow or workload. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. That's for okay. memory dependent applications like virtual desktop stuff. Yeah. yeah. Really, Yeah. Really and I cool. think you, you bring up a cool thing, right? That some people may not realize is that we don't just do CPU. <laughs> we do, you know, our history and heritage as a company actually comes from that side of the house. 
Um, we, we have a whole lot of different components that we can bring to the table um, beyond just the CPU as well as the software optimization that we mentioned. So there's, there's a whole lot of cool stuff. I almost can't even uh, pick one single thing that I would say is the coolest. I think the coolest thing is that back to what we said before is that there's so many different components and areas that we play. Um, our wide pro proliferation across many industries and lots of cool use cases is uh, it's pretty exciting. It's a it's a it's pretty rewarding place to work because you know no matter where you look, there's usually some kind of Intel uh, component behind any compute that's taking place uh, that's doing incredible things for uh, for people. You know so yeah. Um, so this is a little bit of a pivot or a segue, but earlier on in the, the year in the pandemic, there was a lot of demand. And then as a result, there were delays because manufacturing couldn't keep up. We had issues overseas and producing, you know, and, and there were a bunch of learnings tied to supply chain. Um, and, you know, so every every moment has its learnings, right? So how is how did Intel re, you know respond and evolve from that moment? Steven, do you want that one? Uh, not really, because I don't quite understand <laughs> it. Um, I mean, if you have a better answer, please go ahead, Ashley. Yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to chime in. Uh, we, I actually um, was an account executive during this time. It, it was, it was a challenge, you know, because so many um, of our ecosystem partners depend on Intel. Like I just said, with our components being everywhere, uh, anytime there was any sort of supply challenge, it, it impacted a lot of our very valuable OEMs and partners and end customers, and um, you know, that's a that's a hard thing, right? To to kind of to deal with. And so what we what we found was most effective during that time was really good communication between Intel and uh, whether it was the OEM or the partner or the end customer um, to understand forecasting. And are these systems needed immediately? Can you wait? Like, what is the real immediate need? And and really understanding the forecast in a way that we could respond appropriately and 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 uh, effectively. So I'd say that was that was one thing that we encouraged everyone to do was get you know right down to it, be as transparent as possible, really understand. And I, I would say our customers were so great. I mean, I had a lot of customers that were so good about um, working with us through it because we had good relationships there. Uh, more recently, I don't know if you guys have seen, there was a big announcement that our new CEO uh, had made about uh, big investments that we're making from a manufacturing perspective. Even during that time when it was difficult, we were making massive investments in, ter in terms of um, increasing our capacity. So um, I think we're at a time now where um, you know we can respond even better um, to uh, those types of uh, things that do happen in the industry, right? Um, so we, we've we've lived through it. We um, we definitely got stronger as a in many cases um, as a as a partner or as a supplier um, with our with our OEMs and our partners and our end customers in terms of how to handle that. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was challenging, but I do think now we're in a much better position and we've learned from it. And I'm excited for the for the future. Yeah. Well, it really, you, you know, it really wasn't your fault because it was obviously a global pandemic and no one was expecting it, right? But um, we're still in the pandemic. Do you guys still see issues or have you felt like 
you're out of that completely and um, you know that's no longer an issue. So supply, commenting on supply is actually something that's a very um, high profile thing, right? So I don't know how much we could say on a podcast necessarily, but I could tell you okay. that our CEO has publicly said very recently, and you could find this if you go out to the web and you listen, um, that we're in a great position in terms of supply and the, the additional investments that we're making for additional capacity are, um, you know, far and above what we would need from a, a company perspective in terms of demand forecasting and that kind of thing. So um, awesome. I feel very comfortable that we're in a great position um, just based on the publicly available stuff you could listen to Pat Gelsinger say online. That's yeah. great. Yeah. It is a tough question, you know, in all fairness. Yeah. It's, it's a tough. Yeah. And, you know, and by the way, I thought you answered it perfectly. That was great. I was going to say exact same thing that Ashley was going to say. But. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, mean, me to it. I, I asked that question. I thought that's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. Well, you heard yeah. me pause there for a second. Like, hmm, how should I tackle that? <laughs> no, no, it's good. And I, you know, and I think it's just fascinating. I think that, you know, you, you, the world gets better sometimes through challenges. You know, and we saw that in the financial crisis, the, you know, the banks learned how to stress test their balance sheets. You know, the, there's the pandemic, you know, we learned how to harden our supply chain, you know, it's, just this is just the nature of living, you know, so we're all better, stronger, faster from, you know, not, I'm not saying it's a good thing that it, anything happened, but at least at least we're better for it at the end from a supply chain perspective. So yeah. um, really cool, really cool. So, guys, I, I think we're at the top of the hour and I I think this was an incredible conversation and one very worthy of opening day in the baseball season. So I want to thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Um, Bob, any parting comments or? No, I think that was great. I mean, you know, we have Intel and insights, you know, it's, it's almost like we got w w WikiLeaks here. So, you know, a lot of good information here today. So thanks so much. And uh, uh, again, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for oh, having wait, us. Of course, of course. And, and actually, I want to add something to our little script here, Bob. Yeah. And that is to encourage our listeners to subscribe and to share the podcast, uh, we got to, you know, like share the good word, people of That's the right. podcasting listeners. So thank you. Subscribe. Play ball. Download. Play That's ball. Right. That's right. Play ball.